Welcome to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. This month, we're talking about a play that was written all the way back in 2000. The play is called The Exonerated. After all these years, it is still a play that sparks discussion. Last time on the podcast, we met Beth Young, who directed the play. Uh, the play was done in Connecticut. And today, our guest is George Kroon, who is an actor, director, and music director in the tri-state area, which would be New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. He's been active in theater for over 40 years. Welcome, George. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Good to have you on the podcast today. I'd like you to tell my listeners more about your very long involvement with the theater. What are some of the 200 shows that you have directed and whereabouts uh, do you do that? Oh, goodness. I've done, I, I've done everything from um, off-Broadway. Uh, uh, my first show actually was, a, was the national tour of Avida. Um, way back in 19, <laughs> way back then, um, I have done, I have music directed shows in Europe. Um, I do all sorts of things around the neighborhood, um, as I call it. Um, I've done stuff downtown. I've, um, I do a lot of directing in Connecticut and in New York and in Westchester. That's where my home base is. Mm -hmm. Um, Base, yeah, I mean, I've just been, there's so much. I don't, I don't even know what to single out. Do you have a favorite group of, or favorite show or shows that you particularly are proud of that you've directed? My favorite, gosh, that's another hard one because it always changes. Mm. I think my favorite, I think the, the I, I won't say my favorite. All right. The, best show I think I've ever directed was um, on the 20th century at this tiny little theater in New Rochelle. It was one of those we had nothing. We, the, the production team itself just kind of, kind of fell apart. But it was one of those shows where the cast literally rallied around. They literally would lock us in the building and we built ended up building this fabulous set and there was such camaraderie. And I think that's probably my favorite memory in terms yeah. of theater. Because, you know, it's very rare that you get, especially with professional theater, where you get that kind of camaraderie where people don't walk out but instead say, hey, you know, I have some power tools and I can buy some beer. And the producer's like, well, I can lock you in the theater since we had to build the set literally in four days mm. where i mean the uh the paint was drying on the set when we started the show that's well, how close we got it so well, what uh, uh, that's not at all familiar to me that name what was that show about on the 20th century it's this very weird and really zany uh Cy Coleman musical um and it was book is by uh, Betty Comden and Adolph Green. It's based on a movie about um, this fading producer 
who happens to be on the same train as this famous actress who used to be his protege, who he's and he's trying to get her to star in his new play. And he has to do it before he gets to New York or else lose all his backers and all his money. It's it's crazy. It's crazy <laughs> I love it. Oh, that sounds good. Um, now, what shows are you doing currently, uh, with the exception of The Exonerated, which we will get to? Are you doing anything right now? I'm doing quite a bit. Um, I do a lot with high schools in the area. So I just finished um, Bat Boy, another bizarre musical, and a musical version of Twelfth Night. Oh. I'm, yeah, I'm working right now on Peter and the Star Catcher and um, a musical called um, The Lightning Thief. Mm. There's wow. something else, but I forget what it is. Oh, how can I forget? And I'm also doing Nice Work If You Can Get It, which is a Gershwin musical nice. from a few years back. Do you often work in schools with students? Yes. Do you? Yes. Um, I, I believe in giving back. So if right now I do a lot, I do a lot of student work um, to kind of, you know, I love the idea of just getting, you know, of, of what's the word I would use, of helping them achieve their goals. Some of those goals are performance. Some of, for some of them, it's just speaking in public. Sure. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. So how did you get involved with, the exonerated so that that's an interesting one my friend um debbie faella mentioned to me before the pandemic that they were doing the exonerated and they needed someone to play this particular part and i had some familiarity with the exonerated because of my former boss who used to work with the innocence project so i was like sure why not and then, you know, the pandemic happened. I forgot all about it. And then Beth contacted me again and said, you know, we're doing it again, hoping you'll stay with it. And of course, I kind of rearranged my life <laughs> so I could do it. Because I do think it's a wonderful piece. I think it's rather important. And now, had you heard about it before? Did you, were you familiar with the play? Very much. Oh, very, very much. How how did you happen to know about it? So um, for a number of years, I worked at um, Young and Rubicam. And my boss at the time was very, um, was very good friends. And I'm sure he still is with Barry Schecht, who was the one of the founders of the Innocence Project. I see. So from there. You know, it was, you know, I pretty much heard everything that was going along with that. And so when the play came out, of course, you know, I went to see it and it was very interesting. I found it, I personally found it very disturbing. And what I loved about it was I went home and I couldn't stop talking about it. Mm -hmm. Where did you see it? Oh, I forget the name of the theater, but I saw it off Broadway in the original. Oh, okay. In that original run. So I, yeah, I'm very, 
I was very familiar with, with, well, I wouldn't say familiar with the piece, but I definitely knew what the piece was and what it was about. Okay. And, and you said you, you, uh, the impact on you was, was very uh, deep that you, you couldn't stop talking about it, thinking about it. Yeah. What, tell, tell me more about that. So I believe if theater is really, theater is good for two things. One, it's really great for escapism and for pure entertainment, but um, theater can also affect you. It can also um, really make you think about your perspective on, on everything. The Exonerated is one of those pieces for me. It really made me think twice about how I felt about the death penalty, which I never have been for, but, um, but it, it made me think twice about just humanizing these people that you think that, that you think, you know, I, they've done something criminal to find out, no, they really haven't. So, um, it, it, I just kept going back and forth. And what really struck me is how did these people, especially Sonny, how, how does the justice system keep them here for so long without correcting an error? Only to get a, at the end of the day, we're sorry we did this for you and we did this to you. And now you can go on with your life, even though you've lost years or in some cases decades of that right um you said you had some thoughts about the death penalty what what are those thoughts i don't believe in the death penalty but i do believe that there should be some sort of harsher punishment for those who do who do indeed do despicable things i do also believe that it needs to be vetted better in terms of really really triple checking and making sure the person did do the crime that they're accused of for the reasons that they did it um one of the things with the exonerated is they found these people guilty they convicted them they have them in you know they have them in jail in one case there was a death penalty um pending and only to find out they're not guilty so i think one of the responsibilities of our justice system if you're going to give that harsher punishment because remember, there is no, you can't take it back once mm -hmm. you've done it. If that's what you're going to do, then make sure, make sure you've dotted every, you, you've dotted your eye, your, your eyes and crossed your T's and make sure in every, every possible way, there's, there's no way it could be a mistake. The problem is, George, that I, I've done so much reading over, I guess, uh, I got involved with the Innocence Project of Florida in 2009. And so I, I just never stopped reading. The problem is that 
there are so many um, possible loopholes along the way. There right. are, one of the major things is um, evidence that's hidden. And uh, you say we need to be absolutely positively sure that we have the right person and the case is airtight. But um, there are so many different ways that it can go wrong. And then, as you say, too late to take it back. Which is exactly why I don't support the death sentence. Right, right. Not necessarily because it's not a warranted, um, a, a warranted ends to a means to an end, but because you cannot, it is impossible to be a hundred percent sure. Right. It is because there's a man in Alabama, Anthony Ray Hinton, uh, who now speaks all over the country. He's also written a book about his experiences on death row. He was on death row for 30 years and uh, there was tremendous racial bias in his case. Uh, and, you know, they fortunately, uh, Brian Stevenson, very well known uh, advocate of uh, in criminal justice got him out. But look at how many years were gone and Alabama has no compensation. And so they said, just what you said, uh, have a good life. We're sorry. I don't even know if he got an apology. So it, it's it's just um, it's too it's too tricky to um, execute someone because then uh, we can't correct it. So, yeah, my feeling is yours as well. Let's get rid of the death penalty. Yeah, just just find some find another way. Well, one of the things that one of the wonderful things that came out of doing this production was listening to other to actual inmates and what they've gone through, and realizing there's there needs to be so much more reform in the justice system in general. You know how you see it every day. I, I, there was one point when I stopped watching the news or reading it because um, of everything that you're hearing about about the racial injustice, about people being in, you know, being incarcerated for simple things. You know, it. There's a case in point. There's a woman who was found guilty of. I believe she stole Nancy Pelosi's laptop in the insurrection, mm -hmm. and she was sentenced for three, to three years. There is a black woman who, it was some sort of voting issue. Issue. She went to vote, and the poll told her to do something, and that was the wrong thing to do. They sentenced her to six years. How is that, you know, again, makes me say, what's wrong with our justice system? Somebody trying to do the right thing on the advice of an official is sentenced to six years for just signing the wrong form. Someone breaks into the White House and is sentenced to three. The Capitol, right. Yeah, right, right. the Capitol, yes. Yeah, right. um, and is sentenced to three. I. Where's the justice in that? Our sentencing is very uneven, extremely. Now, you, you just mentioned that you talked to um, 
people who were uh, in prison, you said inmates. How did that occur? Well, some of them happened. So during our show, mm-hmm. we would have guest um, speakers. Oh. That, um, that talked to the audience afterwards. And, and some of them, there's one young man. I do not remember his name. Beth would actually know. But he was so eloquent and so so precise with his case law and, and what he was advocating for, which is actually um, to help kids before they get into the system. He was incarcerated when he was 14 and he was um, in the, he was basically in jail for 25 years. Um, and he did admit he did do the crime that he was accused of. But the crime that he was accused of should have had a lighter sentence because he was a juvenile and they sentenced him as an adult. Um, but I remember in talking to him, he was just talking about the whole justice system, how it's not geared for somebody who has no college education, or even if you have a college education, you know, you don't understand all the rules. Um, you can't help in your own defense if you don't understand the system that you're defending yourself in. Um, I also have a friend who works, he does theater at, ironically, theater at Sing Sing, which is a, a program that they have where he goes in and he creates theater with inmates. And that is a way of like, I, I believe a, a psychological release. Uh, that's probably called RTA. I'm very familiar with it. Re- rehabilitation through the arts. Yes. And it's wonderful. And I know Sing Sing is uh, a key player in, in that program. It should be, I'd like to see it in every prison in the country because it's a wonderful outlet yes. to be in a play and, uh, you know, kind of be someone else for a little while, right? Right. Yeah. right. So I think. Um, so between that and talking with Charlie and talking with a few of the people who he has worked with who have come out of the system, yeah. Did, did um, the play went on for 10 performances, is that right? Yes. In Connecticut. And each night, you did you have different um, people who had been incarcerated uh, attend the play? I think there were... I think there were four speakers and they rotated. Oh. And then we had, you know, and then we had two nights of Q&A. Two nights? No, we had one night of Q&A. Oh. There were speakers that they would come back. I see. Well, that's great. And what, what do you remember about the audience reaction to the play? I, I would guess that there were people there who had never seen the play and maybe weren't very familiar with the whole concept well it you know what it's very interesting so i had um i had a few friends that saw it one of most of the audience reactions were were terrific um although we would not know it until the end because Mm. many nights people like normally in the show you hear laughter you hear that there were there were a couple of nights where we had no reaction whatsoever, and we're thinking, oh God, they must hate this. This is horrible. 
you know, when there's no intermission and they're trapped and then we get a conversation <laughs> about it and no, and no one wants to leave because they want to talk to us. Um, I had a friend who saw, who saw a production and usually what I loved about this is that usually it's done as a staged reading. So the actors come, they have music stands, they're reading the script because mm -hmm. these are actual words of people. Um, and Beth decided to stage it as if it were a play and really, you know, enforce us as actors to kind of both not just to memorize it, but to actually portray these characters, not just read their words. Um, and I think for most audiences, I think that's where the power was because we were not reading these words, we were actually portraying these characters. Um, and I, you could tell people were, people were moved. Some people were angered. Um, I know two people who hated the play and couldn't stop talking about it. <laughs> they couldn't, they could not, they could not wait to tell me how much they didn't like this play and how it was biased and blah, 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 blah. And then like two days later, she calls me again to say, is George, why did you, I hated that. And my response was, because here we are three days later and you're still talking about it. What, what was it that they disliked so much? They didn't like the format. A normal play, I see. you know, has dialogue and everything. This is basically a series of very disjointed monologues. Mm -hmm. that don't seem to have any connection until you really think about it because everything is in sections. You know, when I was arrested, when my trial, being in jail, getting out, you know, everything's in sections, but it jumps back and forth. Because so, of the different characters? Right. I see. Right. And so um, she did not like, she did not like that just this, disjointed nature of the play. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's fair. But the basic message, what what do you think is the message that the play sends to the audience? I don't necessarily think there's a message. I think the piece exists to make the audience aware, aware of the justice system, aware of what happens to people during an incarceration, because the normal person, you know, the majority of us will go through our lives and we will never go to jail. And that's not such a bad thing, but we have no idea what it's really like. We only know what it you know, what we see in movies. We don't know what that real life is like. Um, I think the piece is to make us, is to humanize prisoners in general, to realize you're not locking up, um, you know, a piece of jewelry in a, in, in a safe. These are human beings that you're incarcerating. And they deserve they deserve the same respect regardless of what they've done 
and and especially because huge mistakes have been made. These are all people sitting on death row who are there wrongly, being having been wrongly uh, accused, incarcerated, and set to be executed, which is terrifying. So you know that that too, I think, is also part of the message. Well, we are almost out of time, but George, it's been wonderful to talk to you. And uh, as part of the cast, we're going to meet your fellow cast members also in another podcast. And um, uh, I, I, I wanted you to um, tell us about your work as a support specialist uh, at the New York State COVID Tracing Center, but unfortunately, I think we're out of time. But I'm glad you were here today and sharing your experiences. Good luck with all that you're doing with Thanks. so many, so many different uh, balls in the air that you're juggling. And uh, I, I think uh, theater is uh, is a very exciting medium, whether we we see it in Broadway or at a high school or inside a prison. So uh, it's a, it's a great vehicle. And thanks for being part of that. So thank you. Thank we, you we look forward to meeting the rest of the cast. And thank you for listening today on Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. Thank you. See you next time.